I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Andy Staples on 3. Big weekend in college football just concluded. Big weekend coming up. We're bouncing off the Oregon-Washington game, going right into Penn State at Ohio State. Also, Tennessee at Alabama. There's a lot going on. A lot going on. USC-Notre Dame just concluded. That was, a, that was an eye-opener for the Trojans. The Pac-12 race looks like the most interesting, most exciting one. And I think that's what the drama was in Seattle on Saturday because Oregon-Washington, very close. Obviously, if Oregon makes that field goal, they go to overtime. Perhaps the, the winner is different. If Oregon makes the fourth down that it went for, maybe the winner is different. Now, there were three, three fourths, that fourth downs in question. I'm talking about the last one. But the best thing you might hear out of this weekend is Bo Nix. So Brenna Green, who's a reporter for a Portland TV station, asked him a question at the end of his press conference. And the answer he gave, let's just say it's going to remind you of something somebody said 15 years ago. So here is Brenna's question and Bo's answer. Two more questions, Brenna, then Joe. The margins in this conference are so razor thin this year. I'm just knowing that you're not in full control of where you guys want to be at the end of the season. How does that feel now? Um, I mean, we are in control. We can go out and win out and uh, put ourselves in a really good spot. And uh, that's all we can, you know, control. And that's all we really have to control. Um, I mean, that's, like I said, it's, Frustrating to lose a game like this. Um, it's no fun to be on the, this side. Uh, it's easy to go back and, well, yeah, we should have done this and we should have done that. But point blank, period, um, there's only one person in that position. That's Coach Lanning. Um, and there's one group of, um, you know, there's an offense and a defense, and that's who went out there and played today. And sometimes you put it all out there, and it's not enough, and it's frustrating. But that's part of life. Sometimes in life, you're going to get knocked down. You may get fired from a job. Um, you may um, lose a sale, but I hope that doesn't stop you from going out there and trying to sell something else. Um, so this is a great learning lesson for us. There's a lot more to life than football games. I know that for sure. Um, and tomorrow, the sun will come up. Um, God is still good. And, you know, I'm just here to be an influence to other people, be a light around me, and... If I got to use football to do that, then, you know, I'm going to do the best I can with it. And a lot of people, you know, they want to see how we respond. And uh, I'm excited for that. I think that's the challenge that, you know, I can't wait for. And, you know, this group is going to be able to, you know, um, write its own story, write its own journey. And, um, you know, I think if it was easy, you know, everybody would do it. If it was, um, you know, if there was no failures, um, then everybody would be playing football, you know. So... I think that it's part of it. You win and lose. Um, 
you go out there and play your best. You go out there and enjoy the process. And um, even though I hated the outcome of today, um, it was one heck of a football game that I loved playing. Um, and I'll lose with those guys any day um, because I know what they put into it. And I know everybody can nitpick it um, all they want. Um, but y'all don't see us on Tuesday and Wednesday practicing either. Um, and y'all don't see what kind of passion and fire we play with. And um, so I think it's definitely you know, unfair to critique and, and nitpick those guys in that locker room and even our coaches who do, do an incredible job of preparing us each and every week and getting us ready to play. And you go out there and you do your best to win the game. Sometimes you lose, um, and that's part of it. And I'm proud to. What an answer from Bo Nix. Great question, by the way, from Brennan Green as well. And, and thanks to her for letting us use that clip. This is a great answer from a guy who's been through it all in college football. He's been the, the hyped freshman. He's remember first game freshman year at Auburn. He throws that incredible pass at the end of the game to beat Oregon. And then you have the good bow, bad bow. You have Gus Malzahn getting fired. You have the year he spends with Brian Harson, where Mike Bobo was the offensive coordinator. You have things going sideways at Auburn, him going to Oregon. He's been through all of this, and he's saying this is one game. We can still control our destiny. It's not entirely true. You can't totally control it because of the way the Pac-12 system works. But realistically speaking, you probably can. If we're talking about how things are probably going to shake out, Oregon probably can. If Oregon wins the rest of its games, and that's a huge if, Oregon probably plays Washington again for the Pac-12 title. It's, it's a tough schedule. They've got Washington State this week. That's not going to be easy. Washington State coming off a loss to Arizona, but has looked really good most of the rest of the way. This is going to be a lot of fun. And the way he answered that question, you're going to get fired from a job. You may not make a sale. I hope he doesn't keep you from trying to make another sale. I, that, that is, I know Bo's an old college football player, but that's wisdom that, that most of us don't get until long, long after we get out of college. It reminded me of something, though. Reminded me of something I heard 15 years ago after a loss that was not like this loss. This loss was two superpowers, two bulls just charging at each other. The loss I'm thinking about was one where he had a team that was supposed to win a national title and a team that was pretty good but wasn't supposed to be competitive with the team that was supposed to win the national title. Well, the pretty good team went to the house of the team that was supposed to win the national title and beat them. And the best player on the team that was supposed to win the national title, they ran his signature play and got stuffed. And they lost. I think we know which game I'm talking about. That would be the 2008 Ole Miss at Florida game. Remember, Ole Miss wasn't even supposed to be competitive in that game. And they stuffed Tim Tebow on short yardage. They win that game. And after that game, Tim Tebow says this. And uh, I just want to say one thing um, to the fans and everybody in Gator Nation. Um, I'm sorry. Um, extremely sorry. 
you know, we were hoping for an undefeated season. That was my goal, something the floor has never done here. But I promise you one thing, a lot of good will come out of this. You have never seen any player in the entire country play as hard as I will play the rest of the season, and you never see someone push the rest of the team as hard as I will push everybody the rest of the season, and you never see a team play harder than we will the rest of the season. God bless. Tim Tebow, his answer a lot more intense. His speech was was pretty high key. Bo Nix, a little more low key, a little more old soul wisdom. But tell me that those Oregon players aren't going to follow Bo Nix wherever he goes. Tell me that Dan Lanning isn't going to have Bo Nix's back because Bo Nix had Dan Lanning's back. That was pretty spectacular. Great answer. Now comes the hard part. They've got to keep winning. They have to come back from this and they have to win everything else. And that is the problem. That's where it gets hard because if you're Oregon, you got to play Washington State, you got to play Utah, you got to play USC, and you got to play Oregon State. All of those are losable games, every single one of them. And so they have to be close to perfect. And Washington doesn't. Washington can lose one, and they're probably okay. So that's where they're at. Now, it's interesting because you contrast that with what Lincoln Riley and the USC guys were saying after the Notre Dame game. And it was a fairly similar message. And it's not wrong. You know, as bad as it looked for USC at Notre Dame, that game was not a Pac-12 game. Everything they have as a goal for their team remains in front of them. Now, I will say, they play Utah this week. What do the three interceptions that, that Caleb Williams threw in the first half have? Well, there's two things that they have in common. One of the things is Notre Dame cashed every one of them in for a touchdown. The other thing is he had a guy in his face, at least one, every single time. Guess what? Utah's going to have somebody in their face every single time. That's, that's where they've got to improve. They have got to be better on the offensive line or they're not going to be able to be competitive in that Pac-12 race. And I think most of us have probably kind of written USC off. And I didn't, I really wasn't even thinking about it until I was re-watching that Lincoln Riley press conference after the game, and he was talking about the opportunity still in front of them. He's not wrong, but they better look like a very different team, or they are not going to have a chance in the Pac-12. Because if they can get past Utah in L.A. this week, they have a back-to-back in November with Oregon and Washington. If they play anywhere near the way they played against Notre Dame, they will get run by Oregon and Washington. They will just get thrashed. So this is going to be a fascinating race, though, because Washington has to play those four teams I mentioned that Oregon has to play. Washington State, Oregon State, Utah, USC. Again, those are losable games, especially when you've been through a ringer like you're going through now. And so Washington has the tougher closing kick. Oregon's spreads out a little differently, but they're both going to be challenged. And I cannot wait to watch this race. It's sad that this is how it ends for the Pac-12, but it's going to go out with a freaking bang because this 
is what we signed up for. This is the deepest that league has been. And if that Oregon-Washington game is representative of what we're going to get the rest of the season, give me that. I can't wait. I cannot wait. That probably is a good segue into our resume rankings. we got two Pac-12 teams in this week's resume rankings. We're doing the top 10. Now, remember, this is the ranking that does not take into account preseason hype. It is only what you've done in the 2023 season. So that's why it took until last week for Georgia to get in. Georgia's still in, by the way. The, the Vandy game didn't, didn't knock Georgia out, but it did knock Georgia down a little bit. But let's, let's start at number 10. We got Texas at number 10. One of two teams with a loss in this week's top 10 resume rankings. Texas, they, they've got a pretty clear path to a rematch with Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. If they don't lose again, they will play Oklahoma. The Big 12 title will be on the line. And a playoff berth could be on the line, probably will be on the line. So th this is really the test coming up. Is Texas different this year than it was the last 10 or so years? Because the Texas of the last 10 or so years would drop one or two of these games. This version of Texas, if it doesn't, that's, that's proof. That's different. One that I think is really interesting, and, and I mentioned this with Jesse Simonton when we were going through the games on Saturday. November 4th against Kansas State. Kansas State sure looked like they, uh, they handed the offense over to Avery Johnson against Texas Tech. Perhaps Chris Kleiman goes back and, and Will Howard resumes his normal role. But Avery Johnson played all but one series in the second half against Texas Tech. He ran for five touchdowns in that game. He's super fast. He's a five-star, true freshman quarterback. He changes the math a little bit. So watch that one. Because I really think Texas should roll through this. I think, I think they're good enough to roll through this. They're at Houston this week, which is Houston's coming off that crazy Hail Mary win against West Virginia. This is a huge game for Houston because Texas has to come to their stadium. It's the only time they'll meet as Big 12 opponents. But Texas is a lot better. So to, all Texas has to do is keep winning games. Number nine, the Oregon Ducks. I, I appreciate I looked at the AP poll this week, and I, I really I appreciated what the voters did because it drives me nuts when you have a matchup of two really good teams and the lower-ranked team loses and then plummets in the polls because it doesn't make sense to me. If they were ranked lower in the first place, they shouldn't drop very much because all they did was reinforce what you thought. Especially in this case, it was a three-point loss. So the AP... Poll voters did not drop Oregon very much. They dropped one spot, basically. They uh, they they dropped to nine. Texas is eight. So thank you, AP poll voters, for for doing that because they they had Washington and Oregon one spot apart. They moved Washington up with the win, but they did not drop Oregon out of the top ten. So good for them. We we talked a lot about the Ducks. The road ahead is hard, but who knows? Bo Nix. Seems to have a good head on his shoulders. Dan Lanning, I, I think we know what his philosophy is going to be. They're going to be aggressive. They're going to go down swinging if they're going down. We'll see what happens. Number eight, the North Carolina Tar Heels. 
these guys are a complete team. That Cayman Rucker interview last week, if you didn't, if you didn't watch that one, go back and watch it. Go to the YouTube channel. The whole thing's on there. He's awesome, no matter what. But he was great against Miami. I, I got a text from somebody in Chapel Hill on Sunday that said, what a game for the guy you interviewed. Two and a half sacks and 45 uncalled holding penalties. He was he was spectacular against Miami. But that whole defense has looked very good all season, and it, and it makes them feel like a more complete team. Obviously, Tez Walker was the big story on Saturday night because he's ineligible, he's ineligible, he's ineligible. The NCAA finally rules him eligible, but it was on a Thursday, so we didn't really get to see the full Tez Walker experience against Syracuse. We definitely got to see it against Miami. I, I'm really rooting for a North Carolina-Florida State ACC championship game with a playoff berth on the line because I think that could be a great game. That matchup could be so much fun. Jordan Travis, Drake May, Tez Walker, Keon Coleman. Hey, come on. Jared Verse, Cayman Rucker. That, that's going to be... That's going to be a good one. I think that's your ACC championship game. I'm pretty sure it is. But I'd like it to be between two undefeated teams. We'll, we'll see if that can happen. It'd be the best ACC championship game ever. Be everything they envisioned, I think, when they went into to divisions. This is not divisions. But when, when they instituted the championship game, everything they envisioned but, but never actually got. Number seven, Penn State. That 31 nothing domination of Iowa looks better and better every week. West Virginia win obviously looks nice still, even though West Virginia lost on a Hail Mary the other night. Doesn't really matter. None of it really matters. They're going to Columbus. Can they beat Ohio State? Can Drew Aller throw it deep, or will he check it down, or does it matter? Will Penn State's defense harass Kyle McCord, force him to make mistakes? This is where Penn State has to perform. This game, the Michigan game, because this is big. We're, we're going to talk to Sean Fitz from Blue White Illustrated later in the show, and he's he's been banging the drum that this is the difference. These games are the difference between whether Penn State is a good team that is a notch below the Ohio States and the Michigans of the world or whether they belong with the Ohio States and the Michigans of the world. We'll see what happens. Number six, that's Ohio State. That The Notre Dame win looks much better with uh, with Notre Dame whipping USC like that. But again, with Ohio State, it, it doesn't mean anything because they got to play Penn State. They beat Penn State, then it's get through to Michigan. They don't beat Penn State, then it's also get through to Michigan, and you got to beat Michigan. But... This is going to be a really fun one. Penn State and Ohio State play close. It's not like Penn State and Michigan, where if the game's in Ann Arbor, Penn State doesn't seem to ever have a chance. This has been close everywhere it's been played. These teams feel pretty close. And it really will come down to probably who forces the first-time starting quarterback to make more mistakes. But it's going to be a big one. Number five, the Georgia Bulldogs. Sleepwalking at Vanderbilt, 11 a.m. local kickoff. I get it. It happens. Uh, Brock Bowers left with a, an ankle injury. They said that the x-rays are negative. Probably could have him back, they hope, by the time they play Florida. Remember, off this week, and they play Florida on the 28th. So we will see what happens there. But Georgia, 
They had the Kentucky win, which looked good. Looks less good after Missouri went out and, and beat Kentucky. But here's the thing. Florida's 4-2. and two. We, we know Florida isn't expected to, to win many more games this season because the schedule gets very hard. But they're 4-2 and two right now. It's a rivalry game. Both teams coming off a, an open date. And then they've got Ole Miss, which has been good this season. Missouri, which has been very good this season. So Georgia's going to have a chance to get some better wins than it has on the resume right now. They can go, they can obviously move back up. And here's the thing. As long as Georgia can play the way it played against Kentucky, when it matters, Georgia's fine. Georgia will, will three-peat if they do that. But the sleepwalking thing, the slow start thing, it's real. And they got to be careful with that. Number four, Florida State. Seminoles just rolled through Syracuse. Uh, the only drama was, was Jordan Travis getting hurt right at the end of the first half, but he came back and played in the second half. Looked like he did something to his left arm. This team is it seems to be firing on all cylinders. They've got Duke this week. We'll see if they wind up playing against Riley Leonard. Uh, Vegas didn't have a lot of, uh, of faith in Duke, as you'll see. We're going to talk about some of the juicy early lines later in the show, but Vegas was not, uh, not optimistic about, about Duke. Number three, Michigan. They haven't played anybody yet, but they beat everybody the same way. They just pound them. Indiana goes up 7 nothing. We're like, okay, maybe this is the time somebody challenges them. Nope. Michigan scores the next 52 points. Until they show a vulnerability, who they've played doesn't even matter because they just keep doing this over and over again. Obviously, it comes down to the Penn State game and the Ohio State game. You're sensing a theme here in the Big Ten. But if they keep doing this, it won't matter. They'll do that to they'll do that to everybody. Maybe maybe not win by as much against Penn State and Ohio State, but the way they're playing, it's going to be very hard for anybody to beat them. Number two, the Washington Huskies, second best win of the season. Still think still think the Oklahoma win against Texas is number one. But beating Oregon was spectacular. Michael Penix Jr. rose to the occasion when he got the ball back. Brought them down the field very quickly. It was a lot of fun to watch, and I can't wait to watch them the rest of the way. As we just talked about, the rest of the Pac-12 race is going to be bonkers. Number one, still Oklahoma. Oklahoma in the very good position of having the best win. Also should be favored the rest of the way in the regular season. Now, as far as the resume ranking goes, this actually probably puts them in a position to get hopped. Because I just mentioned Michigan's going to play tougher games. I just mentioned Georgia's going to play tougher games. And Washington is going to play tougher games. So all of them could potentially hop Oklahoma because Oklahoma has not had to play anybody really good but Texas. So we'll see how they do the rest of the year. But they have been beating people in a similar fashion pretty much every time. And obviously Texas was tougher because Texas is a much better team. But they have been absolutely fine. So that is your resume ranking. Now let us move on to the projected college football playoff and New Year's Six. Now this is more forward-looking. This is not all what have you done for me lately. This is we're, we're, we're predicting what might happen. The Big Ten prediction, a lot of you disagree with, I know. A lot of you are very angry when I say this every time. But... I may be saying something different next week. We'll see. Or I may be doubling down. 
Sugar Bowl. Number one, Georgia versus number four, Oklahoma. That would be a fun game. You know, the last time they played the playoff game was pretty good. Maybe one of the best games ever. So I, I would love to see that. I, it would be a great gauge as Oklahoma heads into the SEC to see how they stack up against the best of the SEC. The Rose Bowl, another CFP semifinal. Number two, Penn State versus number three, Washington. Yes, this is me predicting Penn State will win the Big Ten. I realize many of you disagree. I realize the Ohio State Buckeyes probably disagree. And if I'm wrong, then they'll prove me wrong this week. And then I'll say something different next week. That's that's the beauty of this stuff. But I've got Washington in here now. Now, you notice I didn't have Florida State and I didn't have North Carolina. This is, again, the primary problem with a 14 playoff and five power conferences. You can't get them all in. Now, they're not all going to finish undefeated. The, the champs of each league, they could conceivably finish undefeated, but I don't think that's going to happen. So it's going to be a little bit easier. It's all going to shake out in the end, I think. But that is one of the frustrating things, and it will take care of itself next year because it's going to 12. And effectively, there, are going to be two, there will only be two power conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten. But right now, we're still in the old, the old system. And so somebody's got to get left out right now. And I, Washington has the best win, so I put them in. And I left the ACC champ out, which could be wrong. But again, it'll work itself out. I've got North Carolina and Alabama in the Peach Bowl. If North Carolina keeps playing this way, if they were to lose in the ACC championship game to Florida State, they would still wind up in a really nice game. In the Orange Bowl, Florida State and Michigan, this is the only one where a contract comes into play. The ACC champ has to be in this game if they're not in the playoff or the highest ranked ACC team that isn't in the playoff has to be in this game. So I've got Florida State there, Michigan, the, the highest ranked Big Ten team that didn't make the playoff, they go to that one. The Fiesta Bowl, I've got Air Force versus Oregon. Remember, the highest ranked group of five champ goes to one of these games. Air Force is undefeated now. They just beat Wyoming, which beat Fresno State. So Air Force in control of the Mountain West at the moment. It doesn't mean they're going to stay there. And you've got Tulane sitting out there in the American. They just beat Memphis. Tulane's only loss is to Ole Miss. So probably coming down to the Air Force champ or Tulane, or the Mountain West champ or Tulane. But we don't know. Got them against Oregon. And the Cotton Bowl, Texas and Ohio State. That'd be a fun one. That would be an absolute delight to watch at Jerry World. So I'd rather these games be playoff games. Tomorrow night, we'll project it as if it were the 12-team playoff starting this year. We do that every Monday night. But I do think this is one of those times when it's it's potentially going to be really hard for the committee to decide between four and five because I don't, like I said, I don't think they're all going to finish undefeated. I don't think every Power 5 champ will be undefeated, but I think there are going to be enough one-loss champs that they're going to have to make a decision to take one and, and, and drop one. And I don't envy that. Because I think the ACC at the top is better this year. The Pac-12 is as deep as it's ever been. Do you do it to Oklahoma or Texas if they have one loss? I It really is going to be difficult for that committee to, to decide. And the, the explanation's probably not going to be great. It's probably not going to satisfy you or anybody else. In fact, I think if I get 
if I'm on the committee and I get pinned into that situation, I'm probably just saying, you know what? That's why we expanded to 12. So we don't have to make stupid decisions like this. But we'll find out. We will find out. Folks, tonight's show is brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest way to do daily fantasy. So much fun, available in most of the country, including Texas, Florida, and California. So I have to apologize. The Prize Picks folks asked me and JD Piquel to put together a custom play for you guys this year or th- this week. And so my half of that custom play, and I, I, I played it myself as a two square entry was Jarquez Hunter for Auburn, more than 68 and a half rush yards against LSU. And then Jordan Travis with more than 242 and a half passing yards against Syracuse. Jordan Travis has been a, a, a reliable earner for prize picks contestants this season. He's been really good. But the Hunter thing is just me kind of playing the odds that LSU's defense had not been that great and they'd had games where they'd they'd given up rushing yards they'd given up passing yards but i thought hunter would be able to be featured he ended up scoring a touchdown early but uh but auburn went more with cobb he had more of the hot hand that game so i'm sorry about that one but i did all right with my my quarterback plays and again jordan travis so this was I love I love the combo pass rush receiving TDs, and these are usually quarterbacks you're going to pick with this. So I had Jaden Daniels more than three, Jordan Travis more than two and a half, and then the combination of Georgia's Carson Beck and Alabama's Jason uh, Jalen Milrow at more than five. So I was feeling really good during that early window because Jordan Travis got got the three and he had two rushing touchdowns. Beck and Milrow had five by the second quarter. In the second quarter of their games, they had combined for five touchdowns produced. I was like, this is going to be easy. Nope. <laughs> they didn't get over five. They they managed to stick at five, and Jane Daniels got three. But the good news is, because I did match the projections on those, I did get some. I, I got more than my money back. I, I did end up winning some uh, $150 on a $100 play. If they'd gone more than, it would have been 500. So, you want to play some prize picks? Of course you do. Download the app, use the referral code Andy, and they will match your first deposit up to 100 bucks. So, if you deposit 100, they'll match you 100. If you deposit 50, they'll they'll match 50. Prize picks. The referral code is Andy. So much fun. They've got pretty much every sport that they have squares for, and very creative. Like I said, I love the combo. Throwing, rushing, receiving touchdowns. And then you can combine two players on that. It is a lot of fun. And I will say Jordan Travis and Jaden Daniels have been a lot of fun to play. And I I like to root for people, so I do the more thans. They've been a lot of fun for more than. But if you're a less than kind of person, there's some folks that you can go with too. And we don't have to, we don't have to name names. But download prize picks, referral code Andy. They will match your first deposit up to $100. All right, it is now time to start getting hyped up for some great games this week, including one that we've been looking forward to all season that will help define the Big Ten. It will help define where Penn State is in the world. 
It will help define where Ohio State and Ryan Day are. That's right. The Nittany Lions are headed to Columbus on Saturday. Sean Fitz of On3's Blue White Illustrated joined us to break down that game. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Now by Sean Fitz of Blue White Illustrated, Penn State has reached the regular season as the message board posters like to call it. The preseason is now over. Ohio State awaits in Columbus. This is going to be a fun one, Sean. And they're coming off winning against UMass. We don't really need to talk much about that. Although I thought it was interesting hearing James Franklin talk about Daquan Hardy earning a job as the punt returner because he returned two punts for touchdowns, which was a school record. In a game where special teams may turn it, how big of a deal is that having somebody that that may be able to break one? Penn State's special teams this year has been uh, up and down. You know, they've been good at covering things, but the return game has not had a spark at all. Nick Singleton was the guy last year at kick return, a punt return. They put Caden Saunders back there this year and just not a not a ton of initiative, really, you could say. Daquan Hardy went back there. He's returned three punts now this season for 129 yards, 43-yard average. Nice job if you can get it. Two touchdowns this weekend against UMass. But to add that element to your special teams or, or to add the threat of that element to your special teams, it can change things. I mean, you look at a game in Columbus. That That is a game that so many things are going to be slanted to Ohio State just because the home field advantage is one of the best in college football. And, you know, you can break one of those plays. You, you look at 2017, Saquon Barkley takes the opening kickoff back, and that set the stage where what should have been a win. Penn State kind of vomited all over themselves there at the end and lost it. But uh, it was uh, – it, it, it's really – a different element that you can add to this special teams unit and, and Penn state needs points any way that they can get them. And if they can get them through punt return, they're, they're going to need it. So you bring up 17, which you're exactly right. They, they were in control. They should have won that game last year. They were hanging with Ohio state until right, right there at the end. The JT to has, you know, one of the best quarters and a half that you're ever going to see. They seem to be kind of right there with the Buckeyes. Not in the same way, like when they play Michigan, it, it kind of depends on where they play. But with Ohio State, they, they seem right there, but they have not broken through since 2016. It's really remarkable because Penn State's played them. You know, I, I know that other teams have beaten them since that 2016 season, but Penn State has played Ohio State as well as anybody. Like it's, you know, Michigan's got the, the two wins in the last two seasons, but like from a schematic standpoint, you could come away from that game last year and say, hey, James Franklin, I'll coach Ryan Day, which, you know, it, it doesn't matter because the scoreboard said otherwise. Um, but they've really played it close. And I think they're similar styles. Um, the big play has been a big part of those games over the last decade. And, uh, you know, sometimes things like the like a punt return would swing it, like the block kick in 2016 would swing it. So I think that they're similar built programs where you, you, you know, you, you'd like to say if you're on the Penn State side that they've kept it close enough. Now, it hasn't been close enough for Penn State fans because they want that W, understandably so. But to play them as consistently as they have. They haven't gotten blown out of the water really uh, very much. So I think that that's been something that 
it's a feather in the cap of James Franklin that really doesn't matter in the end of the day when when the scoreboard says what it does. I, I was at Ohio State's game against Notre Dame and watching Kyle McCord carve up Notre Dame's defense on that last drive. And it was basically when when Notre Dame could get a little pressure on him, it didn't go so well. But when he had time, he was pretty surgical. How important is it for, for Abdul Carter, for Chop Robinson, for those guys to be able to affect him in the pass game? Very important. First time starter. I think that's the number one obvious thing. Um, and he he has been battle tested with that Notre Dame game, which is something you probably can't say on the Penn State side of things in terms of comparing schedules. But at the same time, this pass rush, you mentioned Chop Robinson, uh, Abdul Carter somewhat. I think he has one sack this year. But uh, Adisa Isaac is Penn State's yeah. has been their top sack guy so far. Deny Dennis Sutton has been. And then that second wave of pressure. Cam Miller had a couple of sacks this weekend. Uh, Johnny Dixon's gotten the quarterback. The, the, the Manny Diaz is going going to try to mess with the head of the first time starter, which is what anybody would do. It's what the, the it's what Ohio state's defense is going to try and do to drew Aller. So I think bringing waves of pressure, bringing pressure off of, of different angles is going to be something that yes, it will have an effect on uh, Kyle McCord this weekend and just start with the four up front. I think Penn state can get pressure there. Zane Durant um, has been very good for Penn state on the interior, smaller guy, but very quick to the, the quarterback. And, and really you look at these sacks over the last couple of weeks Yes, guys are getting the numbers, but there's three, four guys hitting the quarterback at the same time. Uh, Tyson Pumachan from UMass, he was done with it. I mean, he was over it by the second quarter. So Penn State has done a really nice job of, of getting to the quarterback, putting hits on the quarterback, whether they turn into sacks or not, putting hits on the quarterback. And, and we, we all know what kind of effect that can have. I was going to say, how important is it to be able to get there with four when you've got to cover Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Abuka and Cade Stover and that whole group? I mean, it's of paramount importance. I mean, you... You go on the road. Any coach goes on the road. They get a little bit more conservative, whether it's offense, whether it's defense. So does that mean pulling back another blitzer? Does that mean keeping a guy in the secondary that you wouldn't ordinarily do that? I don't know what Manny Diaz is going to do, but I think that that's, that, that's where I would lean at this point. But getting home in four with those guys that we mentioned a little bit earlier, those ends, I mean, they got five defensive ends that could really play. And, you know, whether it's sacks, whether it's hits, pressures, whatever, that can lead to good things on the defensive side of the ball. So I think that that's, that is to me the matchup. And I think that this defensive line probably has, is matching up with uh, Ohio state's offensive line better than it has in quite some time. So we all had our fun with the question that James Franklin got last week about how come you, you don't just tell drew to throw it deep. And that is an interesting one to me because drew Aller is, is completing 65% of his passes. He's averaging 6.9 yards per attempt. It was not a, a, a great number, but he certainly looks like he has the skill set to uncork it when he needs to. Is this a case of them being strategically conservative, saving stuff, or is this a case of he's not going to put the ball in danger because that is his nature? I think they've been strategically conservative to not put the ball in danger because he's a first-time quarterback. And I okay. think that any any coach, James Franklin especially, wants to avoid that big turnover, especially, I mean, you're you're building up for a game like this. You're you're not building up for Northwestern, Illinois, no respect, no disrespect intended, but you're building up for a game like this and keeping him safe is is really what they've done. They did throw it a little bit more down the field. Penn State came out in the first play of the game and it looked like it was good, they were gonna uncork it. Drew checked down. He sees the field very well. So I think there are times when you look in the past and it looks like guys are chucking the ball up just for the hell of it. Um, but, you know, I think he sees it pretty well. I also think it's 
a little bit of an indictment on what Penn State has on the outside. You look at the difference um, in matchups this weekend and Ohio State's receivers among the best in the country, that group uh, year in and year out. Brian Hartline has done a magnificent job building and sustaining that group. Penn State's been up and down. Keandre Lambert-Smith has star potential, um, but he has been on a roller coaster at times. Trey Wallace has missed several games. He came back this weekend, opened up things a little bit, but you look at the difference in uh, playmakers on the outside, and that's been a consistent um, part of this for the last couple of years. Parker Washington had a great year last year. Jahan Dotson's been great. You know, Penn State's had good receivers, but in terms of a threat all around, I think this team is is, is actually a step behind of where, where some – prior Penn State teams have been yeah it's been and it's been there's been one guy you know with Ohio State there's usually three guys four right. guys and that's that's part of the secrets it's not really a secret sauce but part of why they're so tough to stop so with the run game for Penn State how do they decide who carries the ball because it seems like they've mixed that up fairly well and done a fairly good job of of going with the hot hand rather than just saying we're going to give Nick Singleton his carries and then we'll see what happens. They they really haven't done anything by design in terms of taking a guy and sort of shoving the round peg in the square hole or square peg round hole, whatever. Um, I, I think it's been interesting to watch them play the same offense with both guys. And I don't know that they're going to do that this weekend because of the stakes being so much higher. Like Catron Allen came into the game late in the first quarter against UMass. And uh, of course it's UMass, but really just kind of ran things. Like he came in, I think he had an 18 yard carry on his first, uh, on his first carry. It, it, he just looks so much more natural by the end of the game. Nick Singleton had, I think seven more carries than him. You know, they kind of put him back in. It looks like they're trying to recoach, reteach, do all the things that, you know, you probably build up and I think we've said on our, on our show overcoached a little bit and he's, I think he's overcompensated a little bit. So you haven't seen the explosion from Nick Singleton. Um, so, but, but I don't think you, you coach these guys much different. I mean, you want to compare and contrast what they do well and Katron Allen's the down to down guy. Nick Singleton's the big play guy, but at the same time, like they're the same size, like they're, they're guys that both really can both or really can help out your offense in, in multiple ways. So I don't think you change much. I just think that the way that Catron Allen is playing right now and the way that Nick Singleton is playing right now, I think that's going to bring the hot hand element into it. And I think Allen should be the guy this weekend against Ohio State. It, is this offense a good complement for this defense? Because we, we just talked about checking down. We talked about you know grinding it out in the run game. That seems like something you do when you are very confident that your defense can hold other teams down. Well, you look at the Iowa game and they, I mean, they've started slow quite a bit. Uh, no touchdowns on the opening drive in the last four games. Um, and it's been, it's been a sticking point really, because, you know, I think they do have some weapons. They just haven't turned to it. And, it and it's taken some time to get into the flow of things. It took a punt return against UMass to get them into the flow of what they needed to do. And by then they started to open up. It's physical offensive line. They, they've done some really nice things in terms of, I mean, they pummeled Iowa up front on both sides of the ball. And, and how often do you hear that uh, right. with, with an Iowa team, uh, regardless of how many points they can score? They, I think that that's what they want to do. Um, you know, they, they were down JB Nelson, of course, lost Landon Tangwall before the season. So getting into that, some of that reserve depth on the offensive line, especially in the, in the interior. So that might change some things. Um, but I think that's what Penn state wants to do. They want to hold the ball. They want to run the ball. They want to, uh, be more efficient by keeping that clock going and, uh, letting their defense sort of do what their defense does. Their defense is going to have them in every game. I firmly believe that. And I think that's good enough to say that even against an off an awesome offensive team like Ohio state. 
So where, where are Penn State fans at right now? How bad do they need this win? To, to, do they need to be in the hunt for the Big Ten title and not just a good team that is somehow a notch below Ohio State and Michigan? Yep, two-game season, man. That, that is where they're at. That's where they've been at for a while. That is the knock on James Franklin in terms of his record against Ohio State and Michigan. And really, that's that's what people are judging them for. And if you have championship aspirations like this team does internally, like that's fair. Like That is how they've really um, approached it. And I think that, that is where the expectations are with the fans. Penn State hasn't been there. They have not made the four-team playoff. I think it's, it's of... I don't want to say paramount importance, but it's very important to James Franklin that they get in there before it expands because they don't want to just be one of those also rands on the outside that's just getting in because they're a top 12 team. They want to be a top 10. They want to be a top five team. Um, so I think that that's important for them. But yeah, I think there's there's a bout of frustration there. Everybody knows how good Ohio State is. Everybody knows how good Michigan is. But Penn State wants to believe that they are in that group. And and if they can make a few plays, make, 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 maybe just make one more play. 2017 yeah this this has popped up before they've been close just haven't been able to get over that mountain i it it does feel like if if they can put some pressure on Kyle accord that there is a way that that's maybe the path more than anything else is turnovers that we, we you know we talked about their turnover margin that they're they're plus 10 in that stat but that feels like the most sure way for them to have a chance is is that possible? You know, it seems like this group is a good matchup for Penn State against Ohio State's offensive line. I think so. Like, I think that that is possible, and that's got to be the um, that's got to be the route that Penn State takes. I mean, you you hear defense first, and you know, an offense that comes along. That's that's very Penn State. That's what Penn State has been for yeah, a long, long historically, time. Historically, yeah. So you think Penn State fans would be in love with this team, but here here we are. We're on the internet. So um, <laughs> no, I, I think that it, it's certainly possible. I mean, the, you you just have uh, guys at every level of this defense that can make that one play. And, and it's not even the stars. I mentioned Johnny Dixon before. Yeah. Uh, KJ Winston is emerging as a very good safety, uh, you know, who who's just a sophomore. Some of those defensive linemen um, that, you know, I mean, Vanover has played very well. Uh, Zane Duran, I mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, those guys are the guys that are going to have to step up and make the play. I think we we expect some of the stars to to be what they are, and I think Ohio State expects its stars to be. But it's that, you know, when you've got that 1 to 85, you've got 15 to 35, and that's going to determine everything. Like that's going to be what, uh, what what really, you know, would put Penn State over the line in this one. It, it is amazing to hear you talk about them wanting to get into the 14. They would have been in – had there been a 12-team all along, they would have been in it a bunch of times. I do wonder how we we, we would view James Franklin through that lens because it, it feels different because Ohio State always gets in. Michigan has now gotten in a couple of times. It does feel like they, they need to join the group in some way, shape, or form. But it's it's hard it's hard because it always seems like there's something in this in this Ohio State game. What's the breakdown that they have to avoid? You know, it, it's interesting because you look at the breakdown they had in 2017, and that was depth. And I think Penn State has recruited past that. You look at the top teams in the Big Ten, you know, they're not they're not playing a whole lot of reps because they're, you know, overwhelming teams that they're playing, and then they're, you know, letting their backups come in, cultivating depth through that. Um, to me, I, I think it's still on the offensive line. Like you look at the types of pressure that Jim Knowles can bring and the types of games that his defensive linemen have had. I mean, 
JTT last year is that that entire draft package that he's going to put together in a, mm -hmm. next year, whenever it is, is going to be him playing at Penn State last year. You you have to avoid not avoid the superhuman uh, you know performances and things like that, but you got to avoid the breakdowns there. Timing has been a big issue for this Penn State run game, and if you turn timing into a three yard loss, that puts them off schedule. That gets them off schedule, and Penn State, I think is going to have to stay on schedule. I think Ohio State has the big plays in this game. I think Penn State has the ability to sort of squat on it, you know, sort of sit on the football, be efficient, and do what they've done the entire time. And maybe you hit a big play. Maybe you get a guy shaking loose. We saw Parker Washington do it last year. But um, in terms of depth, in terms of talent, this is as close as they've been for a long, long time. And I think they they have the ability to do so. It's just avoid those lapses. I think everybody's going to say, well, James Franklin – doesn't run the ball or fourth and five or whatever it might be, but it's, it's those things, those little things that they build up through the game. And I think it's going to start with the offensive line. Well, and, and that's an interesting question because, you know, you get Olu Foshnu's there. And obviously we know how the draft people feel about him. They, they feel like he would have been maybe the first tackle off the board had he left after last season, but how do they stack up in that matchup? Because this is, it feels like a little bit better, Buckeyes defensive line than last year, definitely a better secondary right. than what they had last year, but, but that can they keep those guys off of Drew Aller? Yeah, I think, I think so. Um, JB Nelson left the Northwestern game, did not play this past weekend, was not practicing last week. He's the starting left guard and you put in uh, Vega Yane, um, who is a redshirt freshman. I mean, that you look, if you look at the depth charts, you're going to circle the young guys. And that is the guy that you would circle if you're trying to confused put pressure on so i think that that is you know you're looking at a gap you're looking at those interior rushes from the linebackers what have you so i think that that is where you look at it pretty veteran otherwise hunter norzad's had a really good year he's a former transfer uh from cornell's playing center sal wormley has been in there um and caden wallace to me this is the guy this is the big matchup last year bryce efner was in there who's a a senior he got eaten up eaten up quite a bit and I think a lot of people would have been eaten up by the performance by JTT last year, but at right tackle, I think Caden Wallace is an NFL player, probably an NFL guard, but he has struggled with the outside pass rush at times and uh, is having a very good season, but still sticking in the back of Penn state's mind or Penn state fans minds is the performances that he's had in certain situations this year. So I'll be interested to see how much Penn state uses tight ends to chip, how much yeah. help they can give there, how much these running backs who are very good running backs who have improved in pass protection can step up against a guy, a different breed of athlete than they've seen so far on the schedule blitzing from the second level. They can chip and then they can check it down. That's it's perfect. It's, it's yeah. ideal. Yeah, and that, or they could or, just, or they could just tell Drew Aller to to throw it up there. <laughs> what could possibly go? I I do love it, and not not to make too much fun of that question, but the the look on James Franklin's face as he is trying to determine what that all means, <laughs> because it is so foreign to a football coach to think of a pass pa passing concept that contains no checkdowns. I mean, especially for a first-year quarterback. I mean, just deflate deflate it all you can by throwing it downfield and getting pick. Um, yeah. The question, I think, rooted in some sort of frustration of, of the fan. You know, really mm -hmm. just uh, Penn State has not had the big plays. They've not gone over the top. And as we've mentioned before, at times with Joe Moorhead, uh, even with Ricky Ronnie, it was feast or famine a little bit with the big play. Um, and that just has 
almost completely gone away. You know, Penn State has not been successful throwing the ball down the field. They haven't done it much, but even when they've done it, they haven't had a ton of success. Yeah. So I think the question rooted in reality, um, Corey, Corey Geyer has been covering this team for a long, long time. Uh, I think he got on his heels a little bit, did a little, uh, you know, just uh, try, tried to try to turn and run and it just wasn't well, he just there. kept chucking. That's what yeah. he did. It, it was, it was, it's, it's what you do. Yeah. I understand that. Um, I, I think it was rooted in reality, but at the same time, yeah, James Franklin does not like it when questions are pointed with the an, an answer and expectation in mind. Mm-hmm. He's done that a few times, uh, this, this season at our, um, local media gatherings where you ask, the you ask the answer i guess and, and, oh. and it doesn't go over well with college coaches yeah he does not like yeah the, and they don't the, nobody tends to like it when they know w- that your story is already written and and you're looking Plugging for the quotes. quote to go in there so <laughs> people people can smell that out but it, it is interesting so i'm thinking back to to michigan and ohio state last year where J, uh, jj mccarthy had really not been asked to do a whole lot before that game they kind of unleashed him because they had to, because they were not having as much success on the ground early. Can you imagine a scenario like that where if if they're not moving the ball as well as they, they like, where they do try to kind of unleash Drew Aller? I, I, you know, watching James Franklin for the longest time when he goes on the road, like and it's it's any college coach, right? You want to protect yeah. the football, et cetera. Um, but I, I, I have a tough time seeing that. But at the same time, this kid is so physically gifted, like watch him throw a 12 yard out and it does not look like a college quarterback. And to me, that says you can throw a 12 yard out to Trey Wallace. Or if you get the time that you've had in the past with this, you know, you've got the Olu protecting the blind side. That turns into a double move real fast. And mm-hmm. they did that against actually Northwestern was kind of sitting on the comebacks because that's all Penn State was throwing. All of a sudden, Dante Cephas runs a double move and there's nobody around him. Drew just a little bit too late on the throw uh, did did not end up converting. Um, but I think that that's what you're looking at in terms of being able to unleash him is to you know, get Ohio State into a rhythm and then try and stomp on that rhythm. And I think that that's the best way to do it. And also on top of that, throwing to the backs, the tight ends have been big uh, over the last couple of weeks. Tyler Warren, I think, has five or six touchdowns this season. Theo Johnson had two touchdowns this weekend. Um, you know, you know how comforting it is for a tight end, for a running back to be the guy um, to, that, that is moving the chains. College coaches love that. Quarterbacks yep. love that. Um, and I think those are the key things, especially with as deficient as Penn State has been on the outside in the grand scheme of, of the talent game uh, that's going to take place this weekend. Well, Dante Cephas, he watched his old teammate, Tez Walker, blow up in his first start at North Carolina. So now, now it's time for the other Kent state transfer to, to blow up. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Sean, thank you so much. Cannot wait for that game in Columbus. I cannot wait either. Thank you very much for having me on Andy. It's, it's a pleasure having you on, on, on three. That's Sean Fitz. I cannot wait for that game. It's going to be so much fun. Again, that one's always close. Now it seems like Penn state can't seem to get over the hump. The last time it happened, 2016, you had a block kick. It's a big deal. But now it feels like if we if we compare Penn State to Ohio State, dude for dude, they're much closer. It's not this massive gap of NFL players. Like if we're talking first round talents, yeah, Ohio State probably has the top one in Marvin Harrison Jr. But you've got a little Fashnu who who could be a first round draft pick. You've got Chop Robinson. Abdul Carter isn't eligible this year for the draft, but might, might be a first-round draft pick when he's eligible. It, it, it is a different 
different look for Penn State. It feels like they are much closer athletically to Ohio State than they have been in a while. And I think the, the difference will be that Penn State defensive line slash other pass rushers against the Ohio State offensive line. Can they rattle Kyle McCord? Because you saw Kyle McCord against Notre Dame. When he had time, he just carves you up. When he didn't have time, it was not so easy. So that's that's really where it, where it comes down to. Can they put pressure on him? Can they make him force something that that ends up working out badly for Ohio State? Can they, they force turnovers? Can they change field position? That that's the way you do it. But it will be a fun game. Let's let's talk about the lines this week from our friends at FanDuel. I, Looked up this one. Now, they've had an early line out on this one for a while. But as of Sunday, Ohio State is a five-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Penn State. So, essentially, this means this would be a, a – Ohio State would be a two-and-a-half-point favorite on a neutral field. Uh, the total on this game, 48.5. So, not necessarily predicting a super high-scoring affair. But I, I think this feels about right, given what we've seen, because Penn State's got to prove it. But that – that's not an insurmountable line. It's a one-score game. Let's look at some of these other ones. Mississippi State at Arkansas. It opened with Arkansas as a six-and-a-half-point favorite. That has been bet up to a seven-point favorite. This is an interesting spot for both teams. Arkansas has lost five in a row. There's a lot of consternation about Sam Pittman and the job he's doing. They've been close in those five games. It's not like they've gotten blown out in any of them, but they started out 2-0. They've lost five in a row. That is a fact, and there's nothing you can change about that. They have to have something good happen for them. They need to win a game. And so Mississippi State comes to town. Now, Mississippi State is 3-2. and two. They are in a stretch of games. It's this one at Arkansas, at Auburn, Kentucky, and at Texas A&M. There is a chance they lose all four of those. If they are sitting at, at three and six at the end of this stretch going into the Southern Miss game, it's bad news. That's bad news for Zach Arnett. I wrote a column a few weeks ago explaining the buyout situation for Zach Arnett. It is not a huge buyout. It's basically four and a half million dollars, a million and a half a year over three years. And there's an offset. So if he were to get a, a, a big SEC coordinator job, essentially Mississippi State would owe nothing. So that's what they're looking at. He's got to he's got to win some of these, or it's it's going to be bad. So this is this is a really interesting game. Both coaches need this very very badly. We'll talk about a lot uh, about Tennessee Alabama a lot more with Tim Watts from Bama Online, but. That game started at Alabama favored by eight and a half. It has been bet up to Alabama minus nine and a half. So not a lot of confidence in the old Vols from the vetters. And I, I think what they're probably looking at is Joe Milton's performance against Texas A&M. You know, Tennessee beat Texas A&M. Great defensive performance by the Vols. They, they were in Max Johnson's face most of the time. But Joe didn't throw the ball particularly well. Alabama's going to get after him. And Alabama is probably going to be a little harder to run on than Texas A&M was. So, plus, I think Alabama's offense will be more functional than Texas A&M's. 
So that's a that's one where the, the gamblers are not real confident in the balls. We'll, we'll see what happens as the week goes on. Another one with a bunch of points, Washington State at Oregon. So it feels like too many points here. It's 18 and a half points. Oregon's favored by Washington State did get crushed by Arizona. But Washington State's been pretty good otherwise. So I, I don't know where to go with this one because, you know, I, I don't think Oregon's going to do the let Washington beat you twice thing. And this game is at Autzen. But that is a ton. That's almost three touchdowns in a conference game against a good team. It feels very high. Here's another interesting one. Oklahoma State at West Virginia. So West Virginia coming off that heartbreaking loss to Houston where West Virginia marches down the field, scores. It looks like they've won. Unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. They kick off from the 20. One play sets up a Hail Mary. Houston wins, walks it off. Now West Virginia plays Oklahoma State, which, by the way, we were burying Mike Gundy, including me. I was burying him, too, a couple weeks ago. He went 2-0 for the state of Kansas. He beat K-State, then he beat Kansas. Oklahoma State seems to have turned things around. But West Virginia is still a favorite in this game. So West Virginia, three-point favorite. And then Minnesota at Iowa. So Iowa's a six-and-a-half-point favorite. That's not the interesting part of this one. The total is 32-and-a-half. Remember last week when we picked the Iowa-Wisconsin game? The total was 36-and-a-half. That ended up going down to 34 by the time the game kicked off. This is starting out at 32-and-a-half. I Will this go to 30 by kickoff? I think it might. This is unbelievable. It is going to be a rock fight that will make blood pour out of multiple orifices. It just is. 32 and a half. One more. Duke at Florida State. Florida State opened as a 14 and a half point favorite. That seemed high. Gamblers jumped on that one. It's now down to 13 and a half. It doesn't look like Riley Leonard. I mean, we'll find out. But Riley Leonard's ankle sprain looked pretty serious at the end of the Notre Dame game. I don't know that he's back or not. This seems like Florida State's toughest challenge till the Miami game. But if they play the way they've been playing, it might not be. They they just feel like they're rolling at this point. So Florida State, two-touchdown favorite against Duke. Those are your very interesting lines. Now we'll talk about Texas and Alabama again. As I said, it didn't look like the gamblers were pretty were very confident in Texas. I'm sorry, Tennessee at Alabama. Did not look like the gamblers were very confident in Tennessee. But Alabama, most of the third quarter and in the fourth quarter, didn't do a lot to inspire confidence in the Arkansas game. So what Alabama we're going to see? What version of Alabama shows up when the Vols come to town on the third Saturday in October? We asked him what's Alabama online. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We welcome Tim Watts of Bama Online. The Crimson Tide survived Arkansas. 
I think that's probably the, the best way to put it. But look good at times. Lots of trouble spots at times. Now Tennessee headed to Tuscaloosa for a game that is pretty huge for both teams because Alabama is still in the driver's seat in the SEC West. Tennessee, not out of anything as long as it can keep winning. Yeah, this season, I mean, I'm, I'm not even sure. I mean, you look at that schedule. I'm not sure it's this point of the year. I think it's too early to rule anybody out, honestly. I mean, there's so much football left to be played. Again, Michigan and Georgia seem to have the straightest pass. Um, you know, Ohio State has the loss. But, yeah, I mean, I've never really remembered a time when the game didn't mean something to somebody. I know there's been very streaky – it's been a very streaky series. But I think Alabama fans always wanted to win and Tennessee fans always wanted to win. And you look at Alabama's angle, just speaking from their angle, after last year, you know how mad they were. I mean, that you know, to, to, to lose the game, you saw the celebration, um, which obviously, you know, is irritating when you're on the other end of it. Uh, plus to lose in the fashion they did. I mean, that was, a, that was one of the craziest games I've ever seen in my lifetime. So there's a lot for Alabama. And, of course, Tennessee's playing well, and they want to win that game. And, you know, regardless of you're in the college football playoffs or national championship, you want to win every game. You're trying to recruit, trying to get to a good bowl game. I mean, nobody wants to be playing in, you know, December 27th. So there's a lot on the line for both these teams. So Alabama has the a, a great second quarter. Beginning of the third quarter, not bad either. It felt like they were moving the ball well on the ground, kind of salting the game away. They're up 24-6. And then it just starts yeah. to disintegrate. They, they they allow Arkansas to, to mount a decent drive, and suddenly Arkansas has got some confidence and they're back in it. Yeah, I mean, you know, momentum, you know, football is as much momentum as anything. Getting a quick start, recovering from big plays, you know, you know, producing big plays. And Alabama had that run where they were cruising – down the field, third and three, you know, ran up up the field. You felt like they had a chance to put it away. Ended up calling a pass play and and uh, wasn't successful. Kicked a field goal. Kickoff, come down, three plays, got a punt, get a face mask. And then Arkansas just found something that worked. I mean, you can blame the, you know, I don't think anybody's blaming the defense, but I give Arkansas credit. K.J. Jefferson, that dude is a play, you know, he's a, yeah. he's a player. He's going to go in there. He's going to compete. He made some nice throws. I mean, Alabama definitely had chances to end that drive. A lot of people talk about the penalty, which kept the drive going, so they should, but they had chances to end that drive and and ju just didn't do it. And then Arkansas executed when they had to, made some nice plays, and you know ended up putting back-to-back -back touchdown drives together. And then the Alabama offensively, the left tackle issue, they, they tried a couple different options. Landon Jackson was just dominating yeah. on that side. And Tim, Caden Proctor's the the number one guy there, and probably seems like he's going to stay there as the number one. But he's a true freshman, you know, came from Iowa. It feels like maybe you got to give him a little more help until he, because I mean, you look at him, he's going to be fine. Like he's going to be a really good left tackle. But right now, as a true freshman, it feels like they got to help him a little more. I mean, you're talking about a learning curve. He was facing Iowa high school defensive ends this time last year. And now he's playing SEC defensive ends. I don't care which SEC team you are. You've got a guy that can speed rush. You got a guy that can run, who's athletic, who can get to the football. And they're just sticking that guy over there and letting Proctor work, you know, one on one. I think he does things that that are good. But you know, with the lineman, you don't notice the good really. If it's not right. a pancake block, you never you never see it, right? 
but you notice everything bad they do because the officials go and tell on you, hey, false start, holding, they're calling out your number, they're texting your mama you did it, you know, but, um, and you give up a sack. I mean, it's pretty obvious, you know, when you get beat uh, on that edge, what happens. So I think he's going to be fine, but I agree, maybe somebody to chip over there. I mean, it's a thin line because, you know, you got to run your offense. You can't really tip the help or what's coming and all that. And also Jalen Milrow, he's got to take some blame here too. He's got to stay in that pocket when it's the pocket because he tends to bounce around a little bit and get himself in trouble. So it's kind of, you know, when the offensive line leaks, you see the quarterback, you know, starts hearing footsteps. Sometimes yeah. they're there. Sometimes they're not. You know, Jalen's an athletic guy, kind of bounces on his feet, moves around a lot. Sometimes he works himself in trouble. So as a unit, I feel the offensive line's got to get better, obviously. It starts with Proctor. And then as a quarterback, you got to have that pocket presence. And that's what I used to say about Mac Jones is that, He's a terrible athlete. You know what I mean? He doesn't jump high. He doesn't run fast, but he was dead on. You know, he was, you know, he was Justin Timberlake in that pocket. He was always two steps up, one step to the right. He cleared space. He didn't go very far. He just went to that clear space, which is, you know, what, what great quarterbacks do. So I think there's more than just one thing at play. Jalen has to improve. The offensive line has to improve. Uh, some of the play calling needs to be a little bit better attuned. Uh, to what your quarterback can do and what what your offensive line is capable of. But I think it's all, you know, it's a work in progress. I think that's what the Alabama football team is. You got a first year quarterback starter, you got a first year left tackle, you got a first year offensive coordinator. So I think growing pains were to be expected. Well, and and with Milrow, it's interesting because you're right, he bounces around back there. He's not though for for a guy who's a very good runner, he's not looking to run. Yeah most of the time like he's not looking to scramble unless it's an absolutely dire situation and sometimes i think that also gets him in trouble too because he will hang back in there and take sacks where he's fast enough to get out of there but it's 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 hard because he's probably been trained his whole life like hey we know you can run hang in there hang in there and he does now that but that passing game is so it's so strange because you know you got the guy asking James Franklin at Penn State last week. Did you ever think about not giving Aller a choice to, to check down? Like Jalen Milrow, you don't want him to check down. Like, please throw it deep because there's a 50-50 shot that's getting caught, and it's a huge play. Yeah, you know, with Jalen running, I don't know. You know, there's been talk that he might have some kind of injury. He doesn't seem to have the same gear he did in earlier in the year. Maybe he's got a tweaked hamstring, but he's definitely – the last couple of games, not looking to take contact. They had the quarterback run, power run to the right. He slid down after eight yards on the third and three, where he did a good job getting the first, but, I mean, he just barely got past that first down line, you know, to begin with. So he's definitely avoiding taking some contact, and I don't think it's because he's scared of contact. I mean, I mean, he literally looks like Adrian Peterson. He's built. He's a monster. He's going to, you know, inflict as much damage as he's going to take. So it's possible he's trying to protect himself and save from injury, Um, But also, I know he sees himself as a pocket, you know, passer, pro-type quarterback. So I think all that kind of factors in. But you're right, his run has been a little different the last couple of weeks. Well, and if he is hurt, that is something to be very aware of because we we have seen Alabama's next two options at quarterback. And that's a bad deal if if that winds up having to be what they have to use. So they they probably do need to protect him as much as they can. But this Tennessee team coming in, uh, they seem to have gotten things straightened out. They they lost to Florida, couldn't run the ball in that game, but two offensive line were hurt. They they've run the ball much better. You know, n- nine yards of carry against UTSA, yeah. 
over five yards of carry against South Carolina, 4.7 against Texas A&M, which may not sound like much, but that's a really good defensive front to be doing sure. that against. Yeah, I think Alabama's been really good against the run. Uh, Tennessee, you know, I think Tennessee, you know, you, you look at their fans' reaction to some of the, the games, and it's a little bit similar to Alabama, right? I mean, they're not dropping the same bombs that Jalen Milrow is, but the lack of a consistent passing game at times. Uh, they've obviously focused on the run, which you don't really expect after seeing Tennessee last year where they had just a dynamic passing game. So um, I think they're going to run the ball, try to run to be successful. If Alabama is able to stop that run, and they've been good so far this year. I think it's really going to cause a problem for Tennessee. If Tennessee's able to run the ball and ground it out, it's going to put Alabama in that position where they're going to have to, you know, try to limit them to field goals. And they're also going to have to score in this game. I thought Tennessee's defense did a good job. They got a little bit of problem for Alabama coming off that edge. They got some heat coming there. Mm -hmm. But I think if you can get to that back end, you got a chance to make plays. Um, but, again, you got to protect your quarterback and give him some time because we've seen when he's got time, He's going to sit back and find one of those guys usually works herself open. We saw that. Yeah. So it's a good matchup. I think Alabama, you know, I predict Alabama to win this game, but I think Tennessee is a formidable opponent. I think they got a good coaching staff and I think they've got a talented team. Yeah. I thought Tennessee did a great job up the middle against Texas A&M. They yeah, were, they, they were all over Max Johnson from the inside. Now that's Alabama's a little bit stronger up the middle on its offensive line. It's, it's the edges yeah. that you're, you're more worried about, but yeah, I, I can't wait for this game because as exciting as that atmosphere in Tennessee was last year, I would imagine the Alabama fans probably pretty excited about this. It's interesting because yeah. they did they did not seem particularly pumped up for Arkansas. And, and I get it. Arkansas comes in on a losing streak and uh, Alabama jumped all over them. So it is the, the typical Nick Saban complaining student section you know, taking off. My guess is they're sticking around for Tennessee because they want to yeah. see people smoking cigars afterward if they win. Well, I tell you the difference is, you know, a couple of times over the last few years, it would say, hey, who's our biggest rival? That was the discussion that you really didn't see. And you had people saying that what well, Tennessee wasn't one of them. I bet you ask them now and they, they feel like that, that they're back to rivals. I mean, you win, you know, as many games. This game's been streaky. I've been on the other side of it. I've seen Tennessee run off some, you know, and I had a couple of brothers that were Tennessee fans. And, you know, I've, I've seen both sides of this. But I think Alabama fans definitely being – up for this game. And I mean, Alabama, that was a super emotional game mm -hmm. in Texas A&M and they were feeling their self and they should, that was a tough win and a tough, gets a tough team in a tough place. And they also put themselves in a hole several times. Then you've got next week, you've got Tennessee coming up primetime two 30, and then you got LSU. And in between that is an 11 AM start against Arkansas. Um, and I think most of us know Arkansas, you look at their schedule, they've been super competitive. They're not getting – I know they've lost five in a row now, but they've been in every single one of those games. Other coaches will tell you they were probably, you know, happy and lucky to get out of there um, with with the win. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of that mix that you knew it could happen, uh, but it's hard. You know, you you know, the average fan's probably looking going, oh, they've lost four straight, 20-point favorites. It's 11 o'clock. You know, I'm, I'm going to miss this one. But, you know, obviously it was a much tougher game than anticipated. So Nick Saban just going berserk – at the end of the game because it, it just felt like yeah. they were very sloppy and it was the sort yeah. of things that, that drive him crazy there right at the end i would imagine that probably allows him to reinforce some things yeah. early in the week that, that may be helpful but I, it's it's weird because i actually thought he, like the post game he was he was calmer than i thought he'd be i thought i thought there'd be some lectures i thought there'd be some some very pointed comments but maybe saving those for uh for the team meeting 
I mean, I think that reaction at the end is how in the hell do you get a false start when we're on the kneel down? I don't think that was yeah. a test. Of, I mean, I've got kids and I've seen them do stuff. And you're like, how does that happen? I think that was more at the end. Like, <laughs> we can't even kneel it out. You know what well, I mean? It's like, it's like Terry Arnold was telling us, you know, yes. the how many times have I told you? And that is really, that's, yeah. for Nick that's, Saban, he's, he's, he's every dad in America. Yeah. When, when you've said it four yes. times. <laughs> If you've told your kid to make their bed every morning and then on the eighth morning they don't, you're screaming, how? Why? You know what I mean? That, so I think he was like, how in the heck did we not be able to take this knee? So I get that. Um, I've enjoyed him being more energetic. You know what's funny is like the team likes it. I mean, Terry and Arnold had a field day with the fact that Nick Saban was yelling at him. I don't think the majority of those players take it personal. Um, no. and, you know, you got that when you're a coach that loves up, you know, when you've got a lot of good stories to tell, one bad story is never going to override those good stories for the most part. I'm sure they've got a lot of compliments. I'm sure Nick Saban has been super complimentary of a guy like Terry and Arnold. But if Terry and Arnold can't kneel it out, if he jumps off sides, I got a feeling he's getting yelled at. Well, he he got he got an earful. I forget what play it was. It was in the fourth quarter, but he came off and just got ripped to shreds. And yeah. he, but and he will. He told us last week. We talked to him on the show last week. He and Kool Aid sit there and crack jokes with Nick Saban all day in yeah. practice. Because remember, Nick is with the DBs, and yeah. he is he, he's right there talking to them the entire time. And Terion said that their their goal usually is try to get him to laugh every yeah. time, every chance they get. So it it seems it actually seems like this team has pretty good chemistry. I when, agree. When you think about yeah. it, and and I think maybe that's what's allowed them to overcome some of this sloppiness is they, they like each other. They work well together and, and probably gives them some, yeah. some makeup that allows them to be some chemistry together when they need to be. <laughs> yeah. And you see them mimicking some of the stuff Saban said. I mean, Nick Saban said before Texas A&M, and I'm glad to see college coaches taking this stand. Like Dion said, it's just a football game. Relax. You know, I think Saban said, Hey, we come here to play this game. Why would we be, we should want to play. That's why you came to Alabama. You played to go to – you want to go to College Station and play in that game. And the kids are repeating that because I think they're taking it as it is a game. And we came to play this game. There's no anxiety. You know, we heard that word a lot last year, more than I've ever heard it. There's no anxiety. You came here knowing Texas A&M's on our schedule. LSU's yep. on our schedule. Auburn's on our schedule. The whole nine yards. So you hear them mimicking that. You see a maturity. One thing I like about this team, you don't really see them get down. I mean, when they make a mistake – there's not a lot of head pound, you know, you know, dropping their head or pouting or any of that. They all seem to pick each other up pretty good. Um, you know, you see the guys rally around Jalen and all that kind of stuff. I've seen them talk to Proctor. But it's got to be rough. Again, the kids, you know, you know, young kid, he's from Iowa. He's a left tackle. Not many guys have done that for Alabama. And he's playing every monster every team's got. So I do think the chemistry's there. I do think they're having fun playing football. I know that'll make some people mad at me, but I do think they like playing football. I think they're having fun out there. Well, and I wonder if part of that is unlike many other Alabama teams in the last 15 years, they didn't come into this season expected to win the national title. They're yeah. not carrying that. You know, George is carrying that right now. Mm -hmm. They've got to deal with that every week, but Alabama, especially after they lost to Texas, it was like, well, Hey, nobody's yeah. really counting on us to, to win a national title right now. Why don't we just go have some fun? Yeah, I think there's a burden that comes with being the top team. I mean, when you're 
you know, when you're Michael Jordan, you know, with the Bulls or you're, you know, whoever's at the top of their game, there's everybody's coming just to knock you off. Right. So I think when you don't have that pressure, I mean, you know, in Alabama's goals in the past have always started at the national championship. That's not normal behavior. That's why you're a dynasty. You know what I mean? Normal is win the West, you know, you know, win the Auburn game, win the West, win the SEC, go to the playoffs. And then you got like five steps, but Alabama's old team was, win the national championship. And then if you noticed, if you watched the Bama dynasty closely, winning wasn't even enough. If it wasn't like a beautiful win, it was <laughs> right. still a lot to criticize. Cause you know, and again, that's what a dynasty is. If you like, you know, 41 to 13 is not enough because they were up 41 to three and gave up 10 points late. You know what I mean? That's yep. the kind of thing you face and you're right. George is dealing with it. And, you know, and every great program has, has dealt with that, who's had these kind of runs and franchise in the NFL and the NBA, mm-hmm. um, all those situations. But I do think, and you know, another thing is Alabama, you know, and I've said this, Nick Saban's got a loss in like every season, but maybe two. Mm-hmm. He has a loss every year, it seems like. I think they've had two. I know at Alabama he's had two. One of them they had to block 18 field goals against Lane Kiffin at Tennessee. Right. Seven and six, you know sure. what I mean? So Saban. Yeah, 76 team. And the other one undefeated, they had two NBA All-Star game scores to, you know, to out-survive Florida and Ole Miss that year. So it's hard going undefeated. It's hard winning football games. But I think they're, again, I think this team likes playing football. I think they like each other. And I, I think they feel it's a different feel from last year where it was nothing but pressure. The good news is this game in Tuscaloosa with Tennessee this week, going to be fun. Going to be fun for both teams. And going to be a lot of fun for whichever one of those teams winds up smoking the cigars afterwards. So, Tim, thank you so much. No problem, man. Anytime, Andy. The great Tim Watts of Bama Online breaking down the Crimson Tide as they get ready to play Tennessee. This is going to be a fun week, everybody. You know what Monday night is? Monday night is a Dear Andy show. Your questions are the star. You are the star's. We do that one live, so if you want to come and ask me a question in the chat, you feel free, but you can also find me on X, Andy underscore Staples, Instagram, Andy underscore Staples, or you can email me at andystapleson3 at gmail.com. You do your question on video, pretty good chance you get on the show. You wear a cool hat while you do it, but you're definitely getting on the show. That's that's all there is to it. So andystapleson3 at gmail.com, or find me on Twitter. Andy underscore staples. Find me on Instagram. Andy underscore staples. Uh, we have reached the point in the live chat. Basically, it's it's devolved into my conference is better than your conference. And uh, Matt, one of our usual commenters, he's a Georgia fan. He does rep for the SEC. Uh, Bo, well, he's he, he's signing off with Matthew. Respectfully, kiss my ass, you nerd. That's how the chat's going tonight, in case you're wondering. So if you want to come and tell everybody that your conference is way better than some other conference, then by the way, by all means. Although I actually think they're arguing about Texas not being as good as SEC teams, which, Matt, I don't know how to break this to you. Texas is an SEC team in like seven months, so better get used to it. Thanks so much for listening. Dear Andy Show tomorrow night. Can't wait to see your questions. Talk to you tomorrow.